0: Good afternoon, I'm Joyce Klein. I'm director of the Aspen Institute's Business Ownership Initiative within our Economic Opportunities Program. And it's my pleasure to welcome you to today's event, delivering credit to entrepreneurs of color impacted by COVID-19, why community financial institutions are essential. This conversation is part of the Economic Opportunity program's ongoing Opportunity America Discussion Series, Um, and that series explores the changing landscape of economic opportunity in the U.S. and its implications for individuals, families, and communities across the country. And I want to note our deep appreciation to the Ford Foundation, Prudential Financial, the Walmart Foundation, the CERDNA Foundation, and the MasterCard Center for Inclusive Growth for their support for the Opportunity America Discussion Series. At the Economic Opportunities Program, we focus on advancing strategies, policies, and ideas to help working people and small businesses to thrive. And I think as we all know um, all too well, small businesses and working people are facing extraordinary challenges today. With millions of small businesses struggling with declining revenues and concerns about needing to close for good, with workers experiencing job losses um, now made more difficult by the expiration of expanded UI benefits, Or if workers are still working, balancing caregiving and work, which is made more difficult as daycares are closed and and students are expected to learn from home. And at the Economic Opportunities Program, we recognize that for too long, race, gender, ethnicity, and place have played an outsized role in who is included in economic opportunity in the U.S. and who's shut out. And The topic we're going to be discussing today is deeply connected to the work that my program, the Business Ownership Initiative, has been doing for several years to explore the particular challenges that are faced by entrepreneurs of color in the United States and the role of community development financial institutions, or CDFIs, in getting them access to resources, particularly to capital and credit. And, and since the pandemic hit, our team at the Business Ownership Initiative has been sort of really doubling down even more on our work with CDFIs, as we call them, funders and policymakers, including some of the, the panelists who've joined us for today's discussion to identify the policies and investments that are needed to really reach entrepreneurs of color. And we think this is an essential topic to be tackling. When we're really at the confluence of both an unprecedented economic downturn and a renewed and much needed call for racial and racial equity and justice in our country. And, and, you know, if if you look at the quarterly GDP figures that were released last week, you see what's happening to our economy at a more macro level. At the firm level, I just want to call out, um, there's been a lot of research and writing about this, but the Federal Reserve Bank of New York just today released a brief that shares some of the key reasons why this pandemic has struck so deeply, in particular, at black owned firms and communities. So I'm gonna get us into our conversation, but first I wanna quickly review our technology. Um, We're thrilled with the participation in today's event. We had more than a thousand folks register to join us. So we are in webinar format, which means that all attendees are muted, but we do welcome your questions. So please use the Q and A box on the bottom of the Zoom window to share any questions or comments you have. Um, Thank you to the many of you who submitted questions in advance when you registered. We're gonna try to get to as many questions as we can. Um, probably not all, given how many people have signed up, but as many as we can. Um, we encourage you to tweet about the conversation. Our hashtag is Talk Opportunity. If you have any technical issues during the conversation today, um, you can chat with Tony Mastria on our team um, using the chat feature, or you can email us at eop.program at I will note the, re- the webinar is being recorded and it will be shared via email and it will be posted on our website and we'll push that information out to you after the event today. Um, just briefly in terms of what the agenda looks like, we'll have a moderated discussion with our panelists led by Helene Olin, who's an opinion writer with the Washington Post. Then Helene's gonna pose some of the questions to our panelists, drawing on the questions that many of you submitted when you registered. So thanks again for those for sharing those. We'll also draw on questions you can submit during the course of the conversation through the Q&A feature on Zoom. And please note, you can upvote a question if you see one that's already been asked that you particularly like our panelists to address. Um, so with that, I'm gonna go ahead, I'm gonna cue our panelists to turn on their cameras, and I'm gonna turn it over to our moderator, Helene Olin. As I mentioned, Helene's an opinion writer with the Washington Post. She's also the senior managing editor for a public seminar at the New School. Um, Helene, thanks again for joining us to moderate today. I know you're doing this during your vacation. So we
1: um, deeply appreciate it. Well, I consider this an insanely important topic. So I was thrilled when you asked me. Great. Um, so anyway, good good afternoon, everyone, or uh, good morning, as we say on the West Coast here. Um, I'm Helene Olin, as Joyce just said, of the Washington Post and the New School. And I am thrilled to join Aspen for incredibly impactful group of CEOs ...companies have released a letter begging to small businesses, calling what's now on offer to be inadequate, to that is listed on its platform that temporarily closed
2: I think that we might have temporarily lost Helene. (laughs) Thanks, Uh,
0: Michael. I'm gonna I'm gonna go. Yeah, I'm. This is Joyce. I'm gonna come back on again. Um, Helene, we're losing you, so I'm gonna ask you if you can dial in by phone uh, and speak up when you when you hear from us, (laughs) Um, or when you're back with us, and I'll turn it back over to you. Um, Let me just do a brief uh, intro of our panelists, if that's okay. Um, Just so folks know, you had bios um, in the announcement and and, and so, but let me just tell you who's with us. Um, We have Bill Bino. um, Bill, if you want to give a wave, um, who is CEO with Hope, um, based in Jackson, Mississippi, a large CDFI credit union. Bill, we're also thrilled that Bill's a member of the Board of Trustees with the Aspen Institute and a longtime partner of ours. Um, Also, Michael Barr. Michael can wave. Um, Michael has a lot of titles at the University of Michigan. I'm gonna share one, uh, the Joan and Sanford Wild Dean of Public Policy uh, at, the, at the Ford uh, School of Public Policy at the University of Michigan. Um, and also our final a- panelist is Nicole Jordan-Reed. Uh, Nicole is the owner and founder of Nicole Jordan Catering, uh, catering company uh, based in Chicago, Illinois. Um, And Nicole, um, as she'll share later, um, was connected to us by Axion in Chicago, uh, which is a community development financial institution that does small and micro business lending in Chicago. um, And is a close partner of ours. So um, it doesn't sound doesn't see like I see Helene back. So I'm just going to roll <laughs> and, and let Helene d- jump in when she gets there. Um, so the first thing we wanted to do is just get to know you all as panelists a little bit and how you connect to this topic. Um, so, Nicole, just we'll start with you. Tell us about your business, why and when you started it. And just briefly, because I know there's a lot to share here, but what has the impact of COVID yeah. been on your business?
3: So uh, I own, as has been stated, Nicole Jordan Catering uh, here in Chicago, and we are a full-service catering company uh, serving the Chicago land area. And uh, we've been in business about four and a half years. Uh, prior to that, I had a 20-year career in corporate America and consulting, uh, doing uh, a myriad of things, uh, but made the transition from that to uh, catering uh, and being an entrepreneur, which was really my passion and uh, doing that in the food service space. Uh, with the um, pandemic that is upon us and the start of COVID, uh, it definitely um, stopped, stopped us in our tracks. Uh, we had a complete um, drying up of our business um, in March. I mean, literally uh, over a period of a week and a half uh, leading up to like mid-March, um, events were canceled from that point until summer. Uh, because people are gathering. And we do, a, and a lot of our business was large events or conferences, um, working with a lot of nonprofits. So um, we are delivering um, food to people. And with that, um, it pretty much um, blindsided us uh, in that way. Um, so we had to really regroup uh, and start to think about how um, we approach business because um, it wasn't an option to not be here uh, but um, how, how we can you know um, regroup. Great.
0: Well, thank you. We'll dig more into what that experience has been and, and, and how you've been really thinking about your business going forward. So um, but next'm going I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn it to, to Bill um, Bill, you as I mentioned, you lead Hope Enterprises. Uh, Community Development Credit Union, which is one kind of uh, community development financial institution. So tell us a little bit about HOPE and its work, and maybe a little bit about your journey, how you landed at HOPE.
4: Thanks, Joyce, and thanks for organizing this conversation. It's really important. I don't think we can talk enough about the um, communities that are disproportionately being affected and left behind uh, during this, uh, what I've heard referred to, as as a, as a triple crisis. First, there was a health crisis, an economic crisis, and now you've got the racial uh, crisis that uh, I think are very much tied together. Um, you mentioned, I, I'm, I work at Hope. We are in a region of the country that is synonymous with, unfortunately, with the deep entrenched poverty, a region where you know a third of the counties in the country that have had over... 20 percent poverty for half a century are in Louisiana, Mississippi, and Alabama, which are three of the states we work in, along with Arkansas and Tennessee. And it's not a coincidence that that poverty is also in a region where we have some of the highest uh, percentages of Black populations in the country. Um, And so we uh, were created Uh, I stopped talking about organizations so much as a financial uh, institution, as a community development financial institution, which we are, and we are proud to be one, but that's a tool to address these uh, disparities that have limited people's ability to climb the economic ladder, whether it's health outcomes, education outcomes, access to healthy produce, uh, jobs, uh, affordable quality housing, um, so everything that people need to climb the economic ladder, they're lacking in this part of the region, and we, at some point, you need capital, you need financial tools to address those issues, and that's the piece of the puzzle we try to bring to the, to the party. Um, we are a, we have a loan fund that started back in the mid-90s um, with a million and a half dollars. We found out quickly that that was not enough to transform the economy of the Delta, and so we... We looked at the banking system, and so eventually we created, uh, we we merged with a credit union, um, and and started Hope Credit Union, which um, leverages financial, you know, federally insured deposits, and uses that as our primary source of liquidity, and also a means to get people into the financial system. And so we we cobbled together tools, uh, capital, work, um, however we can, and use every tool and alphabet soup of federal and state uh, programs, philanthropy, and try to bring that into a region and get it into the hands of people where wealth has been extracted for generations.
0: Great, thank you, Bill. Thanks for joining us today. Um, and finally, I'm gonna let Michael introduce himself. Uh, Michael, I mentioned you're currently the Dean of the Ford School at University of Michigan, and you've been involved there and work with entrepreneurs of color in Detroit but your work with CDFIs and with issues of finance and law and policy go, go back to the Clinton administration, at least, <laughs> um, that's where we met. Um, can you tell us about how your work has touched this issue that we're talking about today?
2: Sure, thanks um, very much, Joyce, for having me here today. And it's just great to be on a panel with you and Bill and Nicole. And um, as you mentioned, uh, I got started in this uh, sector working on these issues about 25 years ago Uh, And um, I was in the Clinton administration working on building the Treasury Department's um, Community Development Financial Institution Fund, CDFI Fund, uh, and other access to capital initiatives, anti-predatory lending uh, initiatives, initiatives to strengthen the Community Reinvestment Act, and then to build what became the New Markets Initiative and the New Markets Tax Credit for investing in low-income communities and uh, had a chance to visit with Bill uh, in Clarksdale, Mississippi at a a furniture factory there as President Clinton and I and others were running around the country trying to get the New Markets Tax Credit enacted. Uh, And then uh, I continued that work at the University of Michigan um, where I've been doing research on access to finance, access to capital for low-income communities. And then I went back into the Treasury Department under President Obama. and one of the issues that I worked on was access to capital and community development and housing finance issues as, as well as uh, the Dodd-Frank Act and the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. Uh, we were also involved at that time in, in launching an emergency program for CDFIs um, hit by the financial crisis in 2008. Um, and so that experience uh, certainly is, has come back now. And then while I'm, I'm at the University of Michigan I've been doing a lot of work in Detroit um, for many, many years, Um, and most recently, I worked with a former student at the Kellogg Foundation, James Walls, and with Ray Waters at the Detroit Development Fund uh, to set up an Entrepreneurs of Color Fund uh, that Ray runs in Detroit that serves minority businesses in Detroit. And then uh, at the University of Michigan, we launched a program called the Detroit Neighborhood Entrepreneurs Project. And that project brings together students and faculty from the business school, the law school, the policy school, and our school of art and design um, to help uh, minority-based, minority-owned businesses in Detroit's neighborhoods uh, with access to the kinds of skills and networks they need to be successful. So in the current uh, crisis, that program, DNEP, uh, Detroit Neighborhood Entrepreneurs Project, has been working with businesses first to help them shut down properly uh, during the shutdown, and then uh, to move online, and now eventually to um, reopen in a safe way. So it's been a, uh, a hard road for a lot of the businesses we work with.
0: Great. So lots of perspectives folks can hear. And fortunately, Helene's back with us. So I'm going to go quiet again. Helene, we just went through the introductions of the members, got to know them a little bit, and I'll, I'll uh, turn it back to you.
2: Um Helene you may be on mute.
0: Yeah, you are. Okay, so okay. can everybody hear me now? <laughs> <Yeah>. Um nope. <laughs> you're you're uh you're a little bit feedbacky. Okay. Is that better? Not, that better, that better.
1: Wait. Is that better? Yes. yes. Is that better? <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Finally. Okay. Um, anyway, I'm glad to be back. Um, Nicole, I want to give my first question over to you. Um, you applied for a PPP loan and didn't re- uh, or grant and didn't receive one. Can you talk to us a bit about the process and uh, who you ultimately did receive funding for it from? Because I know you received funding from other sources.
3: Yes, correct. So yes, I did apply for the PPP twice. Uh, and did not get it Um, the process initially um, I was applying or planning to apply through my current bank where I do all of my commercial banking and that was a little bit of a challenge there was a lag there Um, so the from the time of the initial um, notification that we did start applying to actually getting um, contacted to move forward with the application, um, there was a little bit of a lag um, on on the part of the bank. And so um, I opted to not go with my uh, uh, financial institution and leveraged another um, path due to um, my um, being in, uh, uh, I participated in the Goldman Sachs 10,000 small business program in 2018. And so they made an offer to alumni to um, work with a, uh, a lender um, that they had partnered with um, in during this time for the PPP. And so I did that and come to find out I was not eligible and was rejected based on a couple of things. So as a business, I am an And what LLP. were you, can I not, to,
1: I don't want to interrupt, but what, what did they say yes. were the reason for you not being eligible? You are an entrepreneur. You should be eligible, right?
3: Yes. So that's. Correct. So at the time, um, when the the application went in, I um, used my 2018 uh, filings, which I had not um, uh, submitted, uh, had not filed my 2019 taxes for the business at that point in March um, and and early and uh, mid March, and so, or late March. And because of that, um, in that year, I actually took a loss in the business. And so because of the numbers that they're looking for on your like schedule C and all of that with your filings, they, the calculation is 2.5. And so because it was 2.5 on a the negative, they were no, the, the answer was no longer was long story short. And I contract workers. So it's just me in terms of the filing on the PPP as it relates to an employee. Um, but because of that, 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 uh, schedule C and that uh, the, the taking the loss um, it pretty much stopped it right in its tracks um, And so that that pretty much ended the PPP which is which was a little disheartening um, however um, I was able to apply for the EDL with the SBA and uh, received the advance as well as a loan um, there and then was successful with uh, locally with um, the city of Chicago and the uh, Chicago Small Business Resiliency Fund um, that was uh, uh, presented for uh, small businesses. Uh, I had success there and then received a couple of um, grants from a private donor and uh, a family foundation, uh, a philanthropic foundation here in the city.
1: And how did you find out about out. Okay. How did you find out about all those opportunities? Because one of the things we hear repeatedly from small business owners like yourself is they don't even know where to turn, right? They get rejected from PPP and then um, they throw up their hands because they don't even know there are other resources out there. Can you just talk about that for one moment before I turn to the other panelists?
3: Yes. um, Well, I'm a heavy networker, (laughs) Um, but I, you know, have relationships with, you know, and, and participate in things with Um, the city of chicago through our um uh uh business um office that uh um, Mm -hmm. uh vacp business affairs and consumer protection here in chicago that administers licenses and they do a lot of programming so i keep abreast of all the things that are going on there um so like the chicago small business resiliency fund information is disseminated i'm seeing that um but also i do a lot of um work or um i connect a lot with um some of our organizations here like in Chicago. Um, I've received coaching, um, I've participated in a program, an entrepreneurial program with them. Um, I have networked, leveraged heavily uh, my own personal, um, professional, personal and professional networks uh, and got connections to um, organizations. But I am always, and I'm a researcher, so I look up and I, I look up everything and I'm, I'm always looking for something um, as it relates to my business, um, business growth, professional development. Um, and so I'm, I'm actively um, keeping my um, ear and eyes open as well as talking to people. Um, you know, I talk to other entrepreneurs who are also in a similar situation and um, and they share and we share with each other. Okay, and right. and one one uh, you know I'll ask my next question next time. Um, Bill, can you, you lead Hope,
1: um, a community development credit union. Um, can you tell us a bit about the work and um, what and your and your journey to get there?
4: Yeah, um, I shared a little bit about what we do um, um, earlier, but I think it's really important and um, a lot of what I think. Um, I'd like to share is piggybacks on Nicole's story. It's just really amazing how uh, so many um, other entrepreneurs found themselves in a very similar position, which is why CDFIs like Hope and so many other uh, community development financial institutions and minority lending institutions across the country are so important uh, because we are very, uh, we, we, we are wired to fill the gaps. That exists in the traditional financial system. Um, we we were created CDFIs because there are so many gaps um, where traditional banks um, don't um, serve. You know you, you know whether it's because of redlining, uh, because of their business model just doesn't align, because they're profit maximizing, um, but for various reasons. That leaves uh, many entrepreneurs of color, rural entrepreneurs, low-income people, women, um, people who don't fit the box on the outside looking in. So, Nicole, probably probably doesn't help. When they say misery loves company, it's still misery. But you had a whole lot of entrepreneurs that found themselves in the very same position that you did, um, whether they had a banking relationship and applied for a PPP loan and found that um, they were at the end of the line or the back of the bus or not even on the bus, while the larger, more profitable, um, um, better relationships, uh, had strong relationships with the lender and the bank, uh, were able to get in, particularly in that first round of the PPP program. And so we were very glad to um, see that the policymakers ultimately listened to um, a wide range of advocates from across the country. uh, CDFIs, um, um, small businesses, uh, policymakers in, uh, in local communities who said, look, our business is getting left behind. And ultimately, uh, the Treasury Department, SBA, and Congress opened up the program and allowed CDFIs to participate, which is so important because uh, a program that is designed to help small businesses um, should take advantage of those frontline uh, institutions or those first responders in the most distressed communities, which are more often than not are gonna be CDFIs, are gonna be minority-led or owned financial institutions. When you look at um, minority institutions, for example, six of the 10 people in the communities that we have parents are more likely are gonna be black or people of color compared to six out of 100 in a non-black owned or black led financial institutions. Just so by virtual proximity, we're gonna be more likely to serve those communities who are more likely to be undercapitalized and to not have the relationship with the mainstream financial institutions that allow them to get access to the PPP um, program. And and, and quite quite honestly, just banking and financing um, on a normal basis, you know, the disparities uh, in terms of access to capital are dramatic. And when you have a bank in your community, you're more likely to get a mortgage loan or a business loan or to be banked. It's just logical. But, but since the financial crisis, banks are closed in record numbers in those low income communities, which is unfortunately going to be black and brown communities.
1: Okay, um, Michael, a quick question for you. Um, as someone with a national and policy perspective, how surprised were you by what happened with the ability um, of entrepreneurs of color to access the PPP or not access the PPP, as the case may be, and other federal relief programs? And how does this relate to the challenges of entrepreneurs of color um, historically face in getting access to credit?
2: Well, I, I agree with um, what what Bill and Nicole have said about the difficulties that African-American um, businesses um, face and, and other minority businesses face in this environment. And it, it was predictable. I mean, I, I think that the administration made a mistake in the structure of the program. And they should have had first in their minds right from the start, serving really the hardest hit businesses, the really small businesses, businesses in neighborhoods minority on businesses. And they could have and should have structured the program to make sure the dollars went out the door first to the institutions, the small businesses, the entrepreneurs who needed it the most. Uh, And minority entrepreneurs are often um, not able to access this full range of resources. Nicole, I think, is an exception to the rule of um, uh, uh, of many minority businesses, who don't have the kind of networks that Nicole described, they don't have the full set of um, uh, background and skills that that Nicole described, and they don't have the banking relationships. And that being cut off in so many ways from uh, banks um, and from these networks is a, a real makes it really hard for minority-owned firms. And that's why CDFIs and and um, and minority-owned banks play such a critical role for minority-owned businesses in distressed neighborhoods, in particular, but really all over the country. CDFIs have a track record of serving uh, minority entrepreneurs. They are in the communities they're serving, um, and they're able to to do a much better job often. Uh, but even for uh, the institutions that um, for the for the banks. Um, that uh, had access to this lending, if the program had been set up so that they were um, needed to priority, uh, prioritize minority-owned businesses, uh, we would have seen a much different program. And I I think it's just a a tragic mistake. Now, there are all kinds of basic problems with the program too, we can talk about in the details that make it hard for small businesses to use, the PPP program in particular. But that basic choice about who to serve first, I think is fundamental.
1: I would agree with that, um, Nicole. Question for you: um, You've been working with a local CDFI, um, Axion in Chicago.
0: What
1: is how do you, what is the experience of working with them? How is it different from a bank or other lending organization? Um, and have you ever received loans from from more traditional lending organizations in the past? So, you know, if you can compare the different the experience for us.
3: So um i initially well with my business i, I self-funded my business uh, starting out which is and, what most uh, entrepreneurs do right. yes um every, every you know everything and so um the paths that i took um to get funding outside of, of my own pool of funds um i did do uh some crowdfunding through uh, kiva um uh in 2017. Um, did that um, as we were expanding, and um, which was a really great experience—not um, your traditional, but you know, it was an interest-free loan. You you know solicited um, donor uh, support, and uh, it it was um, uh, it was very helpful at that time. Um, had you ever? I had not.
1: Y- I'm sorry. I mean, yes, have you I'm ever sorry. gone through a bank though? I mean, have you ever gotten so money? From- I,
3: no bank. Um, yeah. uh, have you tried path. Okay
1: have you uh, <laughs> had you tried pre prior to this I mean pre in the pre covid um, days I mean
3: Yes um which was a a, a challenge in um getting um cuz I was looking at uh getting a line of credit uh, And can you talk about that a bit Um the, it, it was you know the bank that I bank with. Um, and uh, it was a pretty much uh, no. <laughs> I'm going through submitting, you know, they had all my information. Um, and I, I totally got rejected. Um, and did and, they give you, you know, a reason? I'm,
1: what was their re- reason?
3: So I know I, you know, I've leveraged a lot of credit. And so that was probably, you know, a, 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 a negative in, in, you know, for me. Um, but my Credit and j- overall is good, um, relative, you know, relatively speaking for uh, some uh, a young business. Um, but they, you know, I, I felt like the criteria um, was, I mean, it, they have their criteria, but it felt a little, a little more stringent than you know, kind of the help that I needed. Even having decent credit, but still leveraging some, you know, having some debt, those kind of things. But I had steady, I have steady income um, and will had uh, with the business. Um, and that there was definitely historical information to that. And you um, had to pay, revenue.
1: I'm sorry, I'm doing the New York thing where I talk over people and I'm so sorry. Um, the, <laughs> y- you, did you have to pay higher interest rates to get loans because you weren't going through traditional banks?
3: Um, so I, yeah, I did. So I did leverage some other alternatives, um, in terms of, uh, uh, like the, um, cabbages of the world, uh, Mm -hmm. um, which, yeah. So, and, and their rates are astronomical. Um, but you have to be very, very intentional and strategic about how you, you utilize those types of funds, because the return on pay, the payback, it's a lot different, it's structured differently, the interest is very high, and if you are not getting, you know, as a business, if you have lulls or anything, any hiccups, you know, it could definitely adversely affect you. Um, It's not the best route, but it's fast, and so um, when I did need additional funds, it was fast, Um, you know, uh, but going forward, um, you know, I have looked at, um, and actually have been preparing myself to um, work with, uh, a CDFI um, axiom to submit for a loan but then the pandemic happened <laughs> um, right. and I had and been getting it, um, some things in order for okay, that. And, I had been and, preparing like financials for that.
1: Okay, and one last question before I go to the next panelist and I should say to everybody, I used to for years be the small, the personal finance writer for Inc. So I could I give Nicole like five hours of my time right now. But the one last question, which is how is the experience of working with a CDFI different than the banks and these other alternative lenders?
3: Well, working with a CDFI gives you a couple of other advantages. Um, You get to develop the personal relationship, number one, a lot differently than with your bank. Um, Two, there are other wrapper services that help support you so that you can be positioned to successfully get through the loan process. Um, so that, you know, it's not just, you know, I'm applying to the loan to the CDFI, but there are also workshops and programs and resources that can help you look at, okay, am I I able to to get this? What do I need to do? Where are my gaps? How do I need to plan for this? And to start to think about those things and then act on them um, so that you can get through the process, which is much different than just, you know, the bank. Right. It's either you have it or you don't. And in, in pretty much, you know, in the long or short of things, um, the CDFI, because of the services and support that is available, um, gives you um, a, a bit of a, a different position.
1: Okay, that's terrific. Um, and Bill, can you talk about what HOPE does? And what makes, what allows you as an organization, as a CDFI, to allow to, you know, to make loans to entrepreneurs of color like Nicole that, you know, the banks, you know, don't want to help and, you know, are otherwise left to the mercy of, you know, alternative lenders, you, you know, charging much higher interest rates?
4: You know, ba- banking used to be a very hands on personal, um, 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 uh, uh, Process where you actually sit down with Nicole and you you have a conversation with her and other entrepreneurs like her. You, you realize how brilliant they are to be able to cobble together resources and 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 to get to a point where they can actually start to generate revenue and find a market in a niche despite all the obstacles that right. have been put in front of them. And so um, you know that is someone you want to bet on and put them in a position to actually stabilize and grow and to nurture more Nicole's and be a role model for more Nicole's in the communities where they live. But unfortunately What what
1: lets you do that? What allows you to do that as an organization so that the banks and the alternative lenders don't have? I mean is there something in the structure
4: first and foremost, we don't turn, we don't treat people like like it's not, it's not a formula. We don't put people into a computer and churn them right. out and you an yes or no is understanding um, you know their their, their their financial position, what they're trying to do um, we are We are personal bankers we are private bankers for underserved people in places. Um, you know folks like many of us I didn't know what a personal private banker was at one point, but they actually will sit down with with wealthy people. And help them solve their financial problems?: right. well, No one needs that more than uh, people of color, low-wealth people. And so we step in and fill that gap, and we, under, we have a conversation about uh, what your financial position is, what you can afford. We don't put them in a, a financial relationship that is predatory, and actually puts them into a debt trap. And so that's certainly our approach and how we engage the entrepreneur is, is one. Um, thing. And so many um, people of color will, will even people of, of, of means will often go to a petty lender because they are more likely to get a yes. Uh, right. No one wants to be rejected. And so it's just a matter of being treated with dignity and respect. And so you go to where you feel like you'll be treated uh, and like a person and, and value. And is there uh, something...
1: I don't mean to interrupt, is there something in the way you're evaluating people that is you know, somehow more culturally sensitive and, and does that translate into lower default rates or higher default rates or the same default rates? How does that no, work? We, we,
4: we, we, we go toe to toe with any financial student country in terms of our performance. You know, our, our delinquencies may be higher because quite honestly, the people we serve have left of a safety net. Um, you know, the, the wealth disparities, uh, 10 to 1, 12 to 1, black white wealth gap 1 to 100. Black families with children compared to white families with children and so you you don't have those kind of wealth disparities and and not get blown further when the wind when the winds get high. And so you're going to have uh, some ups and downs and volatility that more people who are more affluent don't have. Um, but we we work with them, we were more flexible, we a third of our portfolio we've given some some deferments or, or forbearance and flexibility during this crisis because we know that they have been hit harder and they have right. less of a safety net and so we want to give them a, a a a lifeline to be able to get back on their feet um but we're also located in these communities um percent um, 7, 80 of our offices are in um Majority, majority, minority census tracts or neighborhoods, or in low-income, low-wealth census tracts, sixty to seventy percent of our personnel and our management are people of color, and we live in these communities. Uh, we have to go to go to church, go go to restaurants where you could go to a restaurant and interact with these people on a regular right. basis, and there's an accountability there. We. We, we and, and I think one of the most important things about our structure is you mentioned um, where we talked about we are a credit union. We are owned by the people who are members of our credit union. And so our, okay. we don't that's, exist to maximize profit for a few shareholders. We, our profits are recycled in order to provide lower rates, more access to capital.
1: Okay, so that's okay. That. thank you for that. Okay, so Michael, that, com- that brings me to you. Um, You were very involved very early in from the federal government when they first created the CDFI Fund, which provides important capital to these organizations. Um, Why are they needed? Um, Can you elaborate a little bit more on this? Why do the traditional banks not want to help minorities of color, I mean, help communities of color um, as much as they could or probably should?
2: Well, I I think Bill's um, example is an important one. And and the operations that Bill runs uh, in the Mississippi Delta and surrounding region are really phenomenal at um, taking that local knowledge uh, and applying uh, really high quality financial analytics with that local knowledge to figure out um, how to make profitable loans. And it's often the case that uh, CDFIs can serve communities or choose to serve communities uh, that banks um, or um, sometimes the the online sector um, doesn't choose to serve. And certainly at rates uh, that are much more affordable because they're driven by their mission. Uh, but, but sometimes when things are working really right, the CDFIs can show the path, um, show how to do this in a profitable way, show how to do this in a way that uh, that respects the borrowers that the CDFIs are serving, and then others can come along and uh, and also join. Uh, and so, uh, when things are working right, CDFIs uh, can lay the groundwork for more active involvement, um, often as partners um, with banks and and sometimes with uh, online lenders. Um, okay, so- quick question
1: here to interrupt you again: What percentage of of loan of of of, of loan capital? you know, going to entrepreneurs of color comes from traditional banks versus CDFIs, do you know?
2: I don't have that figure in my head, Bill, Bill might know, but, but predominantly for entrepreneurs of color, as, as Nicole was describing before, the primary method of financing is from their own funds, which are lower, lower levels for minorities than for whites by a lot. So you're tapping into a resource that is okay. already lower and then friends and family, and then personal credit card. And it takes actually quite a while before you get on that list to getting a bank loan. Uh, very, it's very hard for minority entrepreneurs, particularly um, just starting out in the first few years of operation, but even long-term, if they're operating a business like Nicole's business, it is extremely hard to get access to a bank loan, uh, even after you've been in, in business for quite a while. And that's why organizations like CDFIs can step in. Uh, There's a wonderful partnership, I was gonna say, between Opportunity Fund, which is a CDFI um, and Lending Club, which is an online lender. And they actually work together to do small business lending. They take the expertise of Lending Club's back office operations and the front end mission uh, and local knowledge of Opportunity Fund. Uh, to do small business lending. So it's possible for CDFIs to make a ton of progress here, but also possible for CDFIs to partner with banks and with um, other lenders to expand the pool of capital available in uh, minority communities.
1: Right. Bill,
2: I've got hey, a question. Let
4: me jump in, um, in uh, Michael.
3: Get this, that's great. Michael.
4: One percent of SBA lending in the state of Arkansas went to black entrepreneurs 1% um, 80 plus percent of, mm-hmm. of, of our ppp loans went to entrepreneurs of color you know that's just a small sample size but it is unfortunately more more indicative of the disparities in lending to entrepreneurs of color among cdfis compared to traditional uh, sources of capital
2: and you saw that in the in the new york fed report that was released today as well that Overwhelmingly, the PPP loans are not going to minority entrepreneurs. You know, one of one of the um, questions in the chat box is: Is this related to loan size? And it it for sure is. I mean, small businesses, really small businesses, need smaller loans, and the fixed costs of making loans are, um, uh, you know, don't go away. Uh, but but it's not only that. I mean, there are mission and choices that that institutions make. And it would have been possible, as we were discussing before in the PPP example, um, for banks uh, to be told, here's the priority of lending. You need to lend to really small businesses first, and then we can talk about bigger businesses uh, over time. And they could have set up the program so small loans got funded first, which is a really nice uh, approximation for a small business. And they didn't do that, and I think it would have made a big difference.
1: A question for Nicole here um, because I know you were in the corporate setting for a long time so you might have known CDFIs I don't know the answer to this but you know did you only discover them during the COVID crisis did you know about them before and you know had you thought of go- you were thinking of going to them before but how did you find out about them like how did this all come about how did you discover them basically
3: well I already had a relationship with uh, CDFI um, before COVID, uh, for a, a How while. Find, a while. Right. Um, How did you find again, out about them, um, though? So, uh, you know, through networking. Um, the okay. first CDFI I found out about, which is um, here, in, another one here in Chicago, um, you know, I found out through literally in my network talking about me starting my business. Um, Someone said, mm-hmm. like, oh, have you heard of X, Y, Z. And I'm like, Oh, no, I haven't. Oh, check into that. You know, oh, I know someone over there. And so I started to look that up, and then started to look up CDFIs even further. um, And, you know, found, you know, found more information, learned about Axion, and then subsequently, you know, over time, you know, got introduced there. Um, and, And so it was a matter of, you know, speaking up, and, you know, reach and, and, and uh, researching. But I, I actually wanted to make another point, too, in terms of, okay, of go ahead. The, uh, uh, ch- uh, one quick thing around challenges in terms of getting loans and coming from as a small business. And even though I, you know, my even though with my background still having the challenge, you know, a small businesses sometimes um, what also um, challenges us is our preparedness in certain areas. So, you know, when this in, in pandemic hit, you know, from a financials, you know, are, are, are your books in order? Are your, is your accounting in order? How are you managing those things and how are you able to be able to show a bank or show a CDFI what you have in terms of viability as someone to receive a loan? And, you know, that's something that is also critical to address. And I think that, you know, you know, there are some smaller, you know, some banks that are looking at the totality of the person and business. But I think, like I said, with the CDFI, you know, because there's other programming, um, you, you have an opportunity to um, Pull all the things together in order to be a viable candidate, not just even in a loan through a CDFI, but then now priming yourself to be a, a, a strong candidate in the traditional banking. sense.
1: Right. Um, and, Bill, you had talked a bit before about, you know, being in the communities, and that's how people found out, you know, about about you. But have you, I mean, have you found that it's hard to get the word out sometimes, that people just go to other lenders first because they literally don't know you're there?
4: You know, unfortunately, many, in many of the communities where we serve, that we work, um, they are bank deserts Uh, so there's no uh, traditional bank that is providing access to capital in many rural communities in many even in many cities in many black neighborhoods the banks have closed and so um, the the creditory financial um, service providers are more likely going to be in those neighborhoods than not and so and and kind of honestly cdfis by or relative to the, the need in these communities, demands are very small. So we don't have the marketing budget. So we do a lot of grassroots. We do a lot of networking uh, with other nonprofits. And, and over time, we've, begun, we've become a more clear, import, clearly important part of the financial system. But we are more often than not, we're, we're the R&D arm of the financial system. We show what can be right. done and how to make loans in communities that are underserved. And we try to scale that up. Many, um, Nicole mentioned the 10,000 Small Business Program. So that's initiated by Goldman Sachs. We work at Goldman Sachs after the Hurricane Katrina to bring capital into the Gulf Coast and into New Orleans. Um, Wells Fargo has started to, and other banks have started to, put their PPP fees into CDFIs to invest in places where they are not. And so Netflix made a 10. Million dollar deposit into our credit union to import capital into these well-starved communities, and so as more mainstream corporations and banks start to invest in CDFIs, we're more people know more that we are a a, a viable solution, uh, and and so the word starts to get out. But in, just in terms of okay. marketing, it's it, it, it's it's a slog getting the word out and countering the the existing. Um, barriers to financial services is significant and has to be overcome, not just by CDFIs, but by public policy that, that, that really takes serious opening up uh, access to capital, making it more affordable, and protecting consumers from these predators. Once we get capital into these right. communities, um, you, you can't be stripped away by, by, by the vultures that are preying on those most vulnerable in society.
2: Let me hey, just pick great. up on that point from Bill, if I might, just for a second, because I think that last point is so critical. You know, if you think about consumer, the consumer protection world, it's not, we don't have a perfect set of laws in that area by any means, but at least we have a basic idea. We have a Consumer Financial Protection Bureau and a set of rules that are designed to protect consumers um, from predatory practices. There's a Truth in Lending Act for consumers if you want to get a consumer loan or a mortgage loan. If you're a small business, we just let you go to the wolves. There's no truth in lending act for small businesses. If you wanna compare two different loans, um, banks and other lenders are not required to present those in comparable ways. And you have people taken advantage of all the time in the marketplace. I I think it's a a real strong issue. Uh, Joyce Klein, our host today and, and many others, came together to start a responsible small business lending coalition to try and fight these bad practices. And I think it's absolutely critical that we reform our federal laws in this area or more small businesses are gonna get hurt. And we need them to be able to grow. We need them to have a vibrant economy. We make it so much harder for small businesses by not having those kinds of protections.
1: I absolutely agree. Um, I'm going to switch over. We have less than 10 minutes left, so I'm going to switch over and ask a couple of real policy questions that have come in from people. Um, one person wrote in to ask um, from, uh, from, a, from a new CDFI, um, they're looking to understand the ideal product that could help um, entrepreneurs, specifically entrepreneurs of color. Are there, is there anything that, that you find particularly works well? And I think that's a question for all three of you. If you want to start, Nicole, what helped you most, and then I will
3: turn to the quote experts
2: Um,
3: in terms of the ideal product. um, You know, having a a CDFI that is looking at um, the whole package, if you will, um, as a as a Mm -hmm. person, uh, as a business rather, and you know, looking at what their plan looks like, you know, what their history looks like, how are they, you know, what work have they done either with that CDFI or other programs and, you know, uh, experience aqu- uh, acute acquired, if you will, um, around their own business and running and managing that business. Um, in addition to the other financial, you know, things that you have to look at, but I'm not basing it solely on it's a credit driven, it's, you know, finance, uh, you know, heavy finance driven, you know, how does that uh, underwriting take uh, into account the, um, I'm gonna say the softer aspects, if you will, um, versus the hard and fast numbers and being able to tie those together um, to create a package that someone can then um, access from as far as a loan and then use that to thrive. Um, And then have money that is not just, you know, kind of covering the current spread, but allows you to, you know, plan and execute on on a strategy that allows you to grow. So funding that is also um, enough to um, not just get by, but also to um, really, um, you know, more realistically uh, grow your business.
1: Okay. Bill, do you have thoughts on that?
4: Now, I think it builds on what Nicole said we You really have to meet a, an entrepreneur where they are. You know sixty percent of the members of our credit union either didn't have a bank account or were relying on petty lenders before they joined our credit union. so they were outside the banking system looking in and and so when that's the case, they're not going to be your traditional a credit, and so you've got to sit down and understand how they manage the resources they had. You know, they and tens of millions of Americans are credit invisible. They don't have a formal credit score. And so you've got to use non traditional sources to underwrite their credit and understand how they may is, is it the utility bills? Is it the uh, phone, mobile phone payments? How and, and build a, a way to understand how they manage their resources and go from there. Um, quite honestly, um, there are just um, too many. Um, um, just you cannot approach them in a traditional way, and so I think that 's what cdFIs do so well uh, they, they, they They develop a relationship with the entrepreneur and particularly with small mom and pop entrepreneurs, you cannot disconnect the personal balance sheet from the business balance sheet <laughs> they are and they are one and the same, and so you 've got to understand that and hopefully as they grow and become. More um, stronger they'll start to be able to provide um, traditional financial uh, statements and and you can help them grow and become stronger in how they manage their business but it it is uh, you know you've got to meet the entrepreneur where they are and unfortunately, okay. in many communities of color you're not going to find as many a if you if you
2: will credits
1: okay Michael, do you have any thoughts on this?
2: Just a quick point to add that in the current crisis and the COVID-19 crisis, there's a a totally new additional level of um, all these businesses being uh, required really to shut down because of the global uh, health crisis. And for that particular moment in time, we really need grants Uh, and only the government can step in and do that.
1: And do you feel there's any movement for that to happen? What are you seeing out there on the ground right now?
2: I think there's opportunity. I mean, you know, right now, the government, the Congress and the administration are trying to negotiate a fourth um, relief bill. And I think it's really critical for there to be relief focused on minority businesses and CDFIs in that bill. There needs to be a a program uh, that the Treasury Department and the Fed can run uh, to provide liquidity to CDFIs. There needs to be emergency capital put into CDFIs. There needs to be massive expansion of the CDFI fund grant program, uh, for example. And all these things can happen in this next bill if we have the political will. Uh, We know that CDFIs can execute on it and get the distribution mechanism going. We really need to see action on this in this next measure or we're going to see continued uh, a collapse of small businesses around the country.
1: Is there anyone um, in the Senate or the House that you feel is, is really focused in on this issue? Is there any there are quite a number legislation of legislation out yeah, there? There are Can,
2: quite a number of, um, just to focus on the Senate side for a moment, um, Senator Warner, Senator Booker, um, Senator Coons are all very active in trying to make progress in this area. There are many others.
1: What uh, are they trying to do? What is, if you could be, if, in one minute or less, if you could give a little bit about the legislation that is out there, specifics?
2: Well, the, the senators are, are trying to get CDFI-focused money um, into this legislation to support minority-owned um, and uh, other small businesses in, in economically distressed communities around the country through the three mechanisms I said, a Federal, a federal Reserve Treasury program for liquidity for CDFIs, emergency funding for CDFIs uh, for their capital base, and grants to the CDFI fund. Okay. Uh, to help them bolster CDFIs in this critical time.
1: Okay, and really and one job, last
2: question. Job, oh, go ahead. Yeah, the, the
4: Jobs and Improved Neighborhood Investment Act, that's the, the Warner Booker bill, it's got bipartisan support. Several Republicans have signed on to that, which is amazing these days that there's actually bipartisan support for some of the largest investment in the history of the CDFI sector. And importantly, it targets investment in places that – and in the need of most, as you said, minority communities. There's priority on uh, minority-led CDFIs that are uncapitalized relative to their peers, and so there's some encouraging um, movement. Uh, Congress needs to back and get behind the Jobs and Neighborhood Investment Act. Okay, you, you just
1: jumped, you, you just took my question. I was going to ask you what specific legislation <laughs> do you th- do you <laughs> like the most out there? Um, okay, it is 301. And I think I need to wrap this up. So, so I Colleen, wanted- this,
0: is, please, this is Joyce. I'm actually going to jump in if that's okay because okay. I have a few logistical things. But thank you. You're absolutely right. It's time to wrap up. So thank you. Um, thank you. And thanks to everyone on our panel for taking the time to be with us today and to share your perspectives. This was a great conversation. I know we could have gone on you. much longer. Um, so we have a lot of food for thought right now. Um, I do want to share there, just highlight a few things that I think I would note. Um, one is that... You know, I I think all of our panelists really made the case that if you start a relief program that runs through the banks and the SBA, which have always struggled or not served entrepreneurs of color. That relief program is not going to reach the folks we're talking about today. And so we really need a delivery system, which is CDFIs that can reach them. Um, And we have done some writing about this. Um, When you close out of this webinar, you'll get directed to an uh, a blog post that Bill and I wrote together along with Tim Ogden of the Financial Access Initiative that talks about some of these concepts, funding the CDFI fund, what the Federal Reserve could do to provide liquidity. Um, So so that's all important and um, direct you to that. So just in terms of wrapping up, I wanna thank my Aspen Institute colleagues uh, who do such a fabulous job of organizing and supporting these events. I wanna thank all of you um, in our audience for joining us and sharing your questions and comments. Um, please keep an eye out for our next Opportunity American event, which is going to be later this month. Um, please take a moment to respond to our um, quick feedback survey at the close of the webinar, um, or send us an email at eop.aspeninstitute.org and let us know what you think. Um, we'd love to hear from you and get your feedback. Um, and keep an eye out. We will be sending out the recording um, to the event, uh, hopefully a little bit later today, but if not tomorrow. So thanks again, everyone. Thanks to, thanks to our panelists. Have a great day.
3: Okay, thank you. Thank you so much.
0: Thank
3: Thank you. you.
1: And especially thank you to Nicole, who took time from trying to save her business to spend an hour with us. (laughs) You are the most important person here. I just
0: want you
3: to know that. (laughs) Thank you. It was a worthwhile discussion. Okay.